Welcome back to Bubble Trouble, conversations between two humans trained on a combo platter of bubbles and troubles with pulses of supposed to computer-generated voices. The real-life double act of independent analyst Richard Kramer, that's me, and the economist and author Will Page. And this is what we do, lay out the inconvenient truths about how business and financial markets really work. We're now deep into our inquisition into AI, giving our audience the dinner party conversation fodder to appear smarter than the person sitting next to you. Let's call it training data. We've talked to some of the biggest names in AI, which combines my interest in tech and Will's obsession with music. Audio Shake, Stability, Boomy, and today we're going to make it with Stefan Heinrich Enriquez and his newest startup called Make It. His plans appear to be making us all musicians. So join us with the latest installment of a wild journey into AI music and go down the rabbit hole and see where this leads us, listening to computers, people, or something in between. Back in a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Stefan, very welcome to the show, Bubble Trouble. Thank you for making the time zones work for this one. And the introductions, we'd like to give you the microphone to sort of bring yourself to our audience. But in this occasion, can you please tell our audience a little bit about your career path? Because it's clear for me you've got no room for squares. You work for some pretty fascinating companies on the journey to make it. So if you want to just kind of join the dots for us in terms of how you got here before telling us how we can follow your work. Sure. Thanks for having us. Well, it's funny that I got invited to an AI uh, podcast, first of all, because we were set out to create a UGC music company because I have been working in UGC for the last decade. And from back on the background, I have started from Google and YouTube and thinking about how we can actually launch the first paid subscription for YouTube and actually not just have ad revenue, subscription revenue, but then but musically as well, thinking about how can we bring video creation tools to more people and basically move from the YouTube era to the TikTok era, where we're setting up marketing to think how can more people become creators in the video space and that, that medium and really have seen the transition there. And moving on to like music, I think music in that regard is really the last creative medium that has not been entered the, the UGC phase. And that's kind of what the company has been all about and what I've been all about. And it seems like AI is like a technology that you can make part of that happen, which we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. And that journey from YouTube to TikTok, I think is crucial for us to understand where you're coming from in that you get the inner workings of both. And that point about giving everyone the ability to create with music. It's interesting, I just learned that Harry Styles allowed a user-generated content video creator to make their next video because their content on TikTok was so impressive. 
So I get where you're coming from. This is a creator economy, not in the conventional sense, but in just a genuine look at what kids are doing with their phones these days. What more could they be doing with their phones? And that's where I want to take the first question. And that we've had stability, audio shaking, boomy on the podcast. But one thing we're getting from our audience is they still don't quite get what AI music is. So just imagine I'm a parent and I walk into my child's bedroom and rather than see them play the piano or an electronic keyboard or electronic keyboard with an auto-tuned rhythm that's playing, which it could be deemed AI music even, if I was to open the bedroom door and see my kid playing with Make It, what would they actually be doing? Just visualize it for us so our audience actually understand what AI music means. The easiest to think about it is it's basically TikTok for song creation. Usually I don't like to make these comparisons, but I think that's the easiest way to think about it, right? Like in the era of GarageBand and other like editing type tools that only very few people could use and had a very high learning curve. Now the editor to make a song or to create a song is just much, much easier. And when it comes to like, okay, what does AI, AI music itself is such a new field. It's so many different things. Like it is actually many different things because AI is just mm-hmm. a technology, right? Like like when you talk about other technologies, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be talking about AI music in the very soon because it's just part of how music gets created the same way as you use synthesizers and beat machines instead of just actually having someone play the guitar or the drums on that shift that has happened like 30 years ago. So when it comes to what is the AI music, it really comes down like, are you help using AI to help you write lyrics faster, come up with a melody faster to create the instrumentation or to change your vocals? That's really the main question. So let me just build that out slightly quickly, which is here in Spain where I'm podcasting from, there's a parent I was speaking to today whose son is on Spotify doing hip-hop, and he's doing hip-hop over beats, and he's using a voice controller, so he raps in key. Now, that's not AI music in terms of where the hysteria around this topic surrounds, but what would he do differently on Make It that he's currently doing bashing beats together and using a voice controller so he sounds cool rapping on top? What Nothing distinction. different. Nothing different. It's, all, it's, gonna be, it's all the same. This That's more, just more people can do it now because AI helps lower the bar further. Like during the YouTube era, only very few people could upload videos because it was so hard to edit a video with Adobe Premiere. And then we made the editor so simple on TikTok that everyone can like make videos now and not just young kids, but all families of all ages are doing it. But can, I want to bridge something here because you said we haven't got to the UGC era in music yet. And yet, Will, you've been telling me through 80 plus episodes of Bubble Trouble at various times about how there are tens of thousands or millions of songs uploaded to Spotify from the platforms like DistroKid all the time. So it feels like with 70 or 80 or 100 million tracks out there, we had to have got to the UGC era. That's and how is it not? How is it not with all of these TikTok versions of songs that we see so frequently that we're not already firmly in that area? With the TikTok versions, you actually see the first taste of that. Yes, with like the hundred thousand songs uploaded. No, why? Well, there's three parts. You have the same way if you have ho- movie Hollywood, you also have music Hollywood, and then you have the independent middle or like the aspiring artist bucket or like the hobby musician 
the hobby producer, the people that actually can use your Ableton and FL Studios and GarageBand, and I would even put BandLab in there. And that's like basically the technology that exists since the 90s when you could start mm. making hip hop on or EDM on your computer and then every genre from that's the last 30 years. That's the 100,000 songs. But we haven't reached a point where you don't have to learn all of these programs where you can just open your phone and take like a few minutes to create a song, express what you want to express and express your ideas through the medium of songs. And that being then posted from everyone across around the world. Because if that if we would be in the UGC era. We would not be talking about 100,000 songs uploaded. And it doesn't even have to be on Spotify. It can be just to say the internet. But we will be talking about 100 million songs uploaded today. That's when we arrived at the UGC era. Stefan, I can build that point out for you as well, just referring to your past employer, TikTok. When you remember that famous TikTok 34-second segment of a guy hanging off the back of a truck on a skateboard, drinking a bottle of soda, which might have been product placement, but singing Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, TikTok allowed me to say on the record that as of February 2022, that clip had been viewed 94 million times. That's a big number, right? It's not a Google billions number, but 94 million is a big number. But what was fascinating about that, Stefan, was there'd been 874,000 people impersonating a guy hanging off the back of a truck, drinking a bottle of soda and singing Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And that's the bit that got me about TikTok. I mean, I struggle to understand it. I'm just not of that demograph clearly. But, you know, short of 100 million views, interesting, just short of 100,000 people going to TikTok to impersonate this 34-second clip. Absolutely effing, mind-blowing. Can you build that out for me a little bit more? Sure. I mean, that is literally the case on why remix culture, fan versioning, or whatever you want to call that, a different word for the UGC era, is so, so crucial. It's going to be so good for publishers and songwriters, right? Like, just like that song was revived, so was Kate Bush's song. It's like songs that are like from a completely different time than the TikTok generation, even though TikTok is so, so broad in its appeal now. But still, that is possible because you let people play with the medium. And that's what media, the medium of music overall is missing or lagging behind every other entertainment medium, right? Because in the end, it's all about, there's only so many minutes a day that you can spend with a certain medium. And most people spend their time in video and in gaming or like in gaming adjacent spaces. And so why is that? Well, it's because those are interactive. They let you play. They let you create. They don't let you passively consume only. And that's the real opportunity with the UGC space that can be AI-powered to let more people play, let more people touch the medium. And with that, actually let the medium of music and that industry catch up with where video and gaming is headed as they're getting more and more free time of everyone. Stefan, you set out a persuasive case, and I'm a skeptic here, but it's a persuasive case. And things that are bouncing into my head real time on the pod is... If you think about how do you show your appreciation with music, at the moment, comments on YouTube is possibly the most intimate thing you can do. And I always quote the artist Yeba, Abby spelt backwards when she was working with Mark Ronson. 
And she said to me, I value the comments on YouTube more than I value the royalties from Spotify, because that's the closest I can get to my fans. What you're doing, if you're allowed to do versioning, is you're making comments look plain vanilla ice cream. You're giving me stracciatella with a flake on top. It's a whole different le level of showing intimacy, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you're referring to, you know, like, what is a blockbuster, where, like, this conversation happening, et cetera, right? There is, like, a certain piece of art, no matter the medium, that someone curates and decides what is going to be released. But then you have all, like, the culture is happening around the piece of art, no matter what medium. And the comments are basically really the meeting square where people are talking about that piece of art online. I think that's why people find it so interesting because people are curious what other people have to say, right? Like back in the day, it was like more like, okay, what does a specific source say about something? And now people care a little bit more about what other people say about it. That's what's happening in the comments. Yeah. But if I want to push back on this, I mean, it may be some people's dream, but other people's nightmare that we have a hundred million tracks to contend with a day. And if we want to draw attention to or reward, certainly monetarily, the creators who do the most excellent work, how do you prevent technology from crowding out the quality? Yes. Great because question. right now, let's face it, we are getting algorithmic curation, whether we like it or not. TikTok is 100%, I don't need to tell you we're head of marketing, it is algo curation. They tell you what's good. And how they determine that is a mystery. But how do you contend with the nightmare that we could be elevating the most derivative works instead of uh, and crowding out the most essential and unique and creative ones? I think it is a great question, but I think you also answered it yourself already. Great ideas, great storytelling always rises. Good always rises. And that's what the algorithms do in all these platforms, right? Like even if you create way more content, like no matter if it's video or music, the good stuff that people find interesting is rising. Because I think the one thing I would disagree with what you said is like that the platform determines what you're seeing, right? Like those like curated seeds, like more like from like the traditional media times, like those don't really work. It's always the model for you feeds at work where it's determined on what your own listening or watching history is all about people, you know, who watch similar things to you in general. And the most interesting content is going to be served to you. So it's not going to be any different with like a hundred thousand songs a day or with hundred million songs a day. Like if someone makes something that is interesting and a group of people finds entertaining, musical or interesting, that piece of song will rise. Indeed, actually, for the industry, it's going to be really good because you have an even bigger pool to fish from and find the next hit or the next person because more people can get to it. And I think like the industry has, like the labels have already been looking at it for so long for A&R purposes. They can just fish. You don't have to put an idol show up anymore to find someone. You can just look there. You don't even need people to look there. They're actually using AI. Like anyone who's like, look, trying to, look through lots of data, no matter if that's pieces of songs or videos, you can use AI as well to like, just find out like, what is the most interesting, what is rising. An algorithm on any like social platform is also AI powered. So we are already living in with AI for a while.
I think maybe one question before the break is to bring this full circle. You can hear in Richard's tone a kind of fear about being swamped with all this new content. And you'll hear record label executives express that fear as well. We're doing 120,000 songs a day. AI music's going to put a zero behind that number. We're getting two new podcasts every minute. All this new content. And we've even come up with a term on this show, Bubble Trouble, called hyper-competition, where there literally is too much supply. But do you think we just have to kind of bite the bullet here and just put those fears to the side? That is, worrying about how many hundreds of thousands of new songs is missing the point. I mean, Boomi, three weeks ago on the show, Boomi had this great landing point where he said, Will, how many creators are there on Spotify? I said, 8 million. That's, you go to the press room, they'll tell you there's 8 million creators on Spotify. He then said to me, well, how many people are on planet Earth? 8 billion. Then he paused for a, a minute and he said, it's not a big number, 8 million out of 8 billion, is it? Quite a small fraction. What should we fear mongers do about this nature of supply, given what you're about to do in terms of dropping a bar opening the floodgates and making everybody make it, pun intended, in terms of making music. I think it's a difference besides being saying like, who's an artist, who makes music, and who creates songs. I think there's a difference. Because kick that. Play. if you say, I'm an artist, if you identify as an artist, then you identify as a creative person. Right? You can also be. Mm-hmm. And that means like you're a good storyteller, a good writer. That means so many different things. We're not going to be, unlike the space, it's not going to be teaching every, everyone to learn an instrument, right? That's not what it's about. But I think more people can express their ideas. And I feel like everyone is a little bit creative. Maybe not all the time. I think what an artist has is like their creative constantly. While like someone might have creative ideas here and there, but not all the time. But if you have one of those, I believe probably every single human in the universe can make probably one interesting song in their lifetime. Maybe one. Maybe not twice, not two, not again. But one thing that's going to be interesting to other people that they know or that are having similar interests to them. I think that's what we're going to be seeing. And if it's not good, right? Like, what are we fearing? I think the video space kind of showed us that these things can perfectly coexist. You have Hollywood and Netflix on the one side, and you have YouTube and TikTok on the other side. People are doing both. People are still going to AMC theaters. People are still watching lots of Netflix shows. And people also like TikTok and YouTube. So they, I think there's no, there's no re- and I think they all feed each other too, right? I think all of these UGC prom- platforms are huge promotion vehicles to move like artist songs and music that people want to hear too. It's really, really hard to market these days any piece of music without thinking about UGC culture in general, because that's just what the consumer mm. expects. So can I ask about the ethics of AI and where you get the inputs to train the music? Yeah. Because, you know, you're, there's a battle right now going on in Hollywood, and I've actually had a very well-known actress show me one of the contracts she has with Disney, which says... We have your likeness in perpetuity and all rights to it forevermore. Now, what obviously both the screenwriters and the actors are worried about is their likeness will be replicated by a computer and that's the end of their acting career. They'll just be handed over to the machines. I mean, if you, let's take music like Bach, which is 
mathematical perfection and it's out of copyright, what prevents the AI from taking Bach and replicating its beauty, but there's no reference back to the original creator? How do you cope with the ethics of potentially having your AI copy and modify the most compelling music out there and without remunerating those great artists that we all know and love so much? Yeah, great question. And I'm going to be talking about AI and music in, in general and then specifically to us. So, so we don't do like generative music AI. We've never done, like we've been focused much more on voice per, as a company ourselves because we already believe from the era of like, you, like what you said, like 100,000 songs a day to Spotify. I believe there is enough instrumentals and beats and musicians out there already, like who probably going to be benefiting from remix culture and having people add voices to it, et cetera. So we've always been in partnering with that. So we didn't really touch the music piece. We're more focused on how can we have more people have a voice that they like or someone else might like because they don't like their own voice. That's been our main mantra. Talking now about the general, like general generative music space, I think totally needs to be attributed, but it can be attributed, right? I think now, I think where we're at now already, I think there is a very, very close eye on what data sets are being used to train NAI of any existing or new company already and proof on like, what are you using? So I think that's the right thing to do. I think it's actually going to be beneficial for anyone who allows to train data because that actually means that's going to be a new passive royalty stream and new splits that can be interpreted for all the derivatives works and all the remixes, all the versions are going to be done. It's actually going to be a good thing. So I'm actually not afraid that's not going to happen. That's already happening. That if you take something Mm -hmm. on the other hand side, I feel from what I know that every musician, no matter that's a vocalist or an instrumentalist starts with covering other people's work, right? Because that's the only way how you know that you actually are capable now of playing the guitar or hitting a note or hitting a key, right? Like you're comparing it to an existing piece of work. So I think that's how people start learning. And I think that's if, as we are providing more access to more people to like get familiar with the medium and the benefits of the medium for oneself, that's people are starting there. But it has always been happening. I think most people like had a break probably from that. Maybe if I can just bring it right back to street level before we break for part one. Make it the current stage of your app at the moment. It's a soft launch. Is that right? It's invite only, but you're opening the floodgates pretty soon. Is that how we're sort of preparing launch? For the that government? is for cover study AI, like our newer like product that actually is using more and more AI actually than, than before. So what we're doing now is basically we've been trying, we've, yeah, we've been trying like for a long time to think more about how can we help people enhance their voice but with very similar tunes that people know from the plugin era and like Melodyne, et cetera. And right. now we're moving from enhancing someone's voice to fully transforming their voice until they be able to. So we can basically help you design your own voice in a way that your voice can actually sing on pitch and on key. So that kid in the bedroom can download the app, make it M-A-Y-K-I.it today and get going, correct? Yes. And also go to the website covers.ai as well. I love it. So just before we get to the break, is it conceivable that the parent could shout out to their kid in the bedroom and say, what you're doing, you've got to get to school in 15 minutes. 
and the kid could say, I'm writing, composing, and publishing on Spotify a new song. I'll be down in 15 minutes. I mean, how fast could this go? Yes. Yes. Richard, this is what I'm thinking. You cannot be like an ostrich here or King Canute. You, this is the way it's going. The people who are sleeping on this are the same people who slept on TikTok. And look how fast TikTok went from zero. Yeah, I get that. And I'm going I guess to explode. My concern, my concern is that the sheer volume of production is the velocity of the volume of production is accelerating. And we can agree on that, right? Mm -hmm. And whether it's the sustainability angle of, do we have the cloud computing resources to handle uploading a billion songs a week and keeping them all? Or do we want to crowd out the market with a billion songs a week? And I guess I would take a bit of an issue with the idea that the great stuff always rises to the top because I think there's, well, as with your extensive record collection, there's tons of great stuff that never rose to the top. But I, I just, tons of I'm crap stuff that did. That are, but that's my that, point. That's that, my point. I said not the best. I said the most interesting. You might have the best piece of art, whatever the medium is, and it might not be interesting. And then you have something that is less artistic, but it's very interesting and creates conversation. Well, let's go down the rabbit hole with that topic in part two, but let me wrap up part one by quoting the definition of art that I treasure most, which was the writer Jeanette Winterson, who said to me, art makes you look again, because that's what it does. And versions are definitely going to make you look and listen again. Stefan from Make It, thank you so much for joining us for part one. We'll be back in part two to go down the rabbit hole. Back soon. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to part two of Bubble Trouble with Stefan. He doesn't like his last two names being pronounced, just one Stefan from Make It. We're talking about whether it's a nightmare or a dream that we have a billion new songs every day on Spotify. Certainly some of the stuff that comes into my playlists, I really wonder how it got there in the first place. So I know, Will, you want to start off down the rabbit hole talking about rights issues, some of the concerns and complaints of labels and artists about the rights to their work and what AI might do to them in the future and how Stefan responds from someone who's enabling whole generations of new creators. Will? Yeah, thank you. And I, I think, Stefan, it'd be easy to ask the sort of the echo chamber question of how does this work in music? How are you managing your rights negotiations? Do you even have a legal team up and running at Make It as well? But if we can step back from that and just look at AI 
on one side of the street and intellectual property on the other side of the street. Clearly, there's a dance to be done. How do these two parties, which speak a different language, do this dance without having two left feet? What's going to be the secret sauce that allows the lawyers and the creators like yourself to get together and boogie? I think the conversations are happening already. We and I think others are all talking with, with the right parties on like what's possible, how can it be helpful? I'm talking, like, I have a good friend was a very big hit producer and songwriter. And I know that other people that are working on these writing teams are already using AI in one way or the other as well. So I think the, actually the prosumer phase or like the 100,000 songs like generation is I think, already embracing it in their workflows and seeing how can they use it as part. It's a plug in a door like for like lyric or like the idea generation sucks. I think there is... In the professional workflow, it's finding its footing already. And I think also on the level, on the industry level, I think we're also seeing the first benefits from it, which is around versioning, for example. I think I just read about how Hype, the Korean label who created BTS, is using AI to be dubbing and releasing versions of the song in many different languages without the band needing to record those. those, Okay. I think that same thing is going to be amazing for the industry of an artist. If an artist can release their songs in every single language without even needing to learn the language, right? So especially as the charts more and more become localized in English, as I think the dominant language in music, I think is degrading, it's going down. I think more and more uh-huh. local charts are in local language again at the current time, at least. And so the I think that's going to be... in Germany is all German. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of trap, like local trap music, I think, in every country now. Yeah. And so it seems like there's a desire, but that means like if you are Drake or Ariana Grande or BTS, you can now create local version of us and actually storm the charts maybe if it is really about just the language that people want, right? That's the question. But that could be, could be an advantage for like the industry and that's how the industry is going to maintain their share. The same thing is going to happen with as we move, another use case is for a release strategy is different genres. I think we've seen it a little bit where people bring out a hip hop song. Maybe there might be an EDM version for it. Outside of that, not a little bit like later, like I know more people bring like reggaetoneros in to make a, make the song a bit more for Latin America, but it's not that broad that you basically have a good song and then release it in all genres, but that will be possible. So you're going to be the next. Mm. BTS single will probably be released soon in a regional Mexican version and then in an American country version and in a I don't know, tropical house version. And that, if that then you basically can again, as the industry, gain even more share again because you have a good, if you make hits and you know how to make good hits, I think that's a good way. When it comes to like, I think, generative AI and music, it's not all AI. Like there's something about music theory as well that, that must be said, right? Like there is formulas that people that mm-hmm. are familiar with music theory know how to use. So you don't need AI for that. But you and That's you don't need ba- and, and you don't need Bach or Drake for that either, right? Or like a great song. Like you just need to like be a good songwriter and know what the tricks are, and then use the music theory tricks. So in that regard, and going back to like the legal questions. You don't have to train on, on, on commercial music. You just have to train it and teach it music theory 
and formulas that are being used to create hit songs independently of one sure. specific person. So you mentioned something there that I just want to drill into very quickly, which is you said, and gain share. Because if what you're doing is enabling everyone to do this, who does gain share? Yeah, I believe, okay, exactly. I think that's a good point, right? Because like now the scare is like more people than ever will crowd out. I don't think that the, I would stay with my, what I said in the very beginning, that there is like the top, the middle, and then the new, very lowest long tail tier. I think the middle has always had it very hard in music yeah. ever since the day of time. I think the top does not have to be afraid. What I just talked about the different versions for the, so it's going to be great. Like right now it's maybe scary. It's going to be so good. Every publisher yeah. is going to love it. Like maybe less than half a year, people are going to get, come to realization. Oh my God, like this is going to be helping us so much that we also create, like we're going to be winning. If it's going to be a quantity game, we're going to be winning the race for quantity because we have the best songs and we're going to make even more versions of it. For the, like it's, if there's independent artists or like aspire, like that is, I think, more the critical piece of like where like the generative music come, comes in because quantity in itself is not, I don't think that's the problem. I think what's the problem is about how do you market music, an artist, a song? What is building? It's not about building the brand, right? That's where a lot of the the money and the top goes is really in the brand building because during the 100,000 songs era that we're in now, it's already not about the music or the song itself, right? Like people are constantly complaining how there's not enough payout from the streaming platforms and that all of the money and music is anyway coming from life or from merchandise, like from other like sources that are not. So music is already now at that stage where it's really just helpful to build the brand out. And I think that's where, that's the real thing to be a thing that is like hard, a hard pill to swallow is like, how do I differentiate myself as a music brand for the song or for the artist itself? And that's tricky. And that's where I think the storytelling and ideation and it being different is coming in. And I think that's where actually UGC platforms help more people who try to come up with their own persona that is somehow interesting for a lot of people. But I think that's what's, that's, I think, when you think about creators or YouTubers or TikTokers, like they're the, I would argue, the best marketers in the world right now. Better than a marketing Cons graduate from college. I think the new strap line for your company is that consumers are the new broadcasters. Is that right? Well, that's been true already for the last 15 years since Facebook. Yes. <laughs> hmm. Well, now on another level, I want to put some wind in your sail here and build out this idea of versioning real quickly. Just a couple of anecdotal observations before I land one on you in terms of a use case where this could actually go next beyond music. But we often record this podcast at the Platoon Studios in Talyard, world-class studios, huge fans of the show. And last week, there was an Indian artist in Platoon, a very big Indian artist, not the top 10, but in the top 20 Indian artists recording in Platoon. And I was speaking to this artist and he said to me that he only records in a minimum of seven languages. And that's the norm in India. If you're going to record sense, a yeah. hit, you're, can you imagine an English speaking artist here in Britain bothering to record in two languages? They're recording in seven. And for me, that's a leapfrogging example. The emerging market is leapfrogging the established market with a new way of versioning their content. 
at that Sir Martin Sorrell OB, friend of the show, he came on stage at Madfest. He joined us on stage and stressed an audience of 3,000 advertising executives that you can now change a commercial for a Serbian audience with one press of the button into three different Serbian dialects. Why would you even think in English? His point was, these idiots on Madison Avenue and Soho who think advertising is going to work in English in the future just don't get it. They're not on the train. If I can address a Serbian audience in three different dialects, then I'm not thinking about English language commercials anymore. So I think they're just interesting observations to share with the audience. But for a use case, you always learn about interesting audiences that are tuning into Bubble Trouble. I learned, Richard, recently, I learned that Rockstar Games, the creators of Grand Theft Auto, are huge fans of this show. Rockstar Games, Grand Theft Auto, one of Scotland's great exports. You might say it's a touch ironic that a game about late-night violence on the street came from Scotland, but still, bear with me. Stefan, can you envisage a car game, a car chase game like Grand Theft Auto, having a soundtrack that is produced, perhaps on Make It, which adapts to the scenes in the game? So I've got one song, and it's been performed in one way as I drive down the street chasing a car. And it's performed another way when I run out of the car and run into the club to find the person I'm chasing. Like, we're talking here about the birth of adaptive content on a huge scale. Yeah. Funny enough, I actually met with some of the creative producers of GTA because I think personal radio, as they had it, I think is like very much at the forefront like of what is coming and what's to come now. So they have been really ahead of that time, I think, with this. And I think, yeah, it's going to be a lot about that music creation, which brings me, to, I think, to like, one line that's been stuck in my head that I, that, which is during college, I learned that content was king, but I would say niche is queen. That's the era that we're in now. And I think to your point around mm. local language or even like dialect, like music, it's because it's like one space is overcrowded, right? And I think in that regard, I think musicians can learn from the video creation space. The people that are rising are usually the ones that are not producing the same blockbuster content or the same that everyone is doing, but they're doing something a little different because it's possible now and you can find big audience for specific things. But in that versioning, I mean, you have Netflix recording car chase back, backdrops in Prague or a city like that. And then they'll do the detective or the hero will be one person for the Spanish speaking market and someone else for the English speaking market and someone else for the Dach region and German speaking market. And they basically make multiple versions of the same show using the same blocks of content. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like what you're thinking about is doing something similar with music content. Yeah, it's just de-risking, right? Because anything content IP business is a lot about (laughs) risk and calculating like what is going to work and what's not going to work, right? And I think, but I think that is also changing. The blockbuster mentality is changing from one executive deciding what the master version of a piece of art that is going to be at least supposed to be, or let the people decide. To give you one very specific example, in my role as head of marketing, I think I understood that who am I to say what a 14-year-old girl in Atlanta likes now? I don't know as the creative director of the commercial or like the blockbuster commercial or the ad, the master version of the ad. And it doesn't matter. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to release like 10 different versions of it. And the people in algorithms are going to decide what is speaking to them the most. That's already happening in advertising. It's happening in video. Why should it not be happening in music? 
who is someone to say that this is the master version that everyone should be listening to if there could be versions that might be more relevant to me? Especially if you're still going to be as the person who created and had the original idea, it's going to benefit and get the split and attribution to all of the versions that are going to be existing that actually going to be making a song that might have flopped actually way bigger because a certain fan is going to come up with a combination you couldn't even think of or your creative team or your social media couldn't, couldn't even think of. But someone is thinking of it and it's really hitting culture in like a certain age group or whatever demographic. And out of a song that was like, okay, now someone gave it a twist that was completely unthinkable, maybe unmusical. Mm. And that's exactly yeah. what that song needed to be completely blowing up on the social platform. This is just a remix culture happening at a whole different scale. Wouldn't you agree with that tone that your, your colleague Jessica Powell from Audio Shake came on the podcast to tell us? 100%. And I think remix culture, in some extent, has been part of a release strategy of, of artists, songs, labels, and industry in general, I think, for a long time. I think the thing is with, with releasing remixes with a song is you're still going to be releasing things that you already know or you think are going to be working, right? Like, a specific genre that you already like think, oh, it has a big market share. I'm going to be releasing that remix. Which means it's a very crowded space for your official remixes. Right? Like that's what it comes down to with like this like localization of content in general, like, of songs. I think it would be much better if you let like more sub-niche communities actually make the remixes because then you can actually break through because they're like way less populated. Up, it's way less yeah, way less competition because they're going to come up with niches you can't even think about because you're just going to do like some marquee remixes in a very, very crowded space. Everyone does an EDM remix. Everyone does that kind of remix. Like, oh, wow. Like someone's going to come up with like this certain, like not where uh, for a space that is maybe underserved still that you can't even think about. I think that's really the advantage of, of UGC remix culture and in part of a song release strategy. So to build out on something I said earlier, consumers are the new broadcasters and remixes are without borders. I think remixes and song remixes will be an essential part of next year's music release strategy and of every single artist and music marketing, the same way as Video UGC is. One of the questions I know Will wanted to ask is these streaming services, we look at them, a lot of them are not profitable. And we learned that this week, we hear that all the time. They've all are in the mode right now of trying to cut their costs or limit the those executive decisions to be tastemakers because they're realizing they maybe got a little carried away with themselves in the era of cultural overproduction. How do you step in and help these companies reduce the costs of production of the content that they so desperately need to get people to subscribe? The question, Seb, is funny to me because in my head, I think of the streaming platforms that have and the industry as the same. Like that is the same for me. That is the culture of pushing content to passive consumers. They go hand in hand. So I think the industry and our streamers have to figure it out together. I think what I'm advocating for and what I've been working in is the creation era, which is beyond the consumption era. People are not just going to just be listening to music anymore. So I cannot really answer to that problem of that era, but we're moving anyway into the creation era now where everyone is a creator or a co like a recreator or a curator, a remixer. And I believe that era is going to be more monetizable than the passive era. And mm -hmm. I think 
it's not going to be about who's going to, like, it's not going to be about streams anymore. It's going to be more about like creations and are my ingredients that are worth like way more than your ingredients. Am I going to be making sure that creators or like new creators are going to be using those ingredients because I will get a new passive revenue stream from those. And I believe that era will be more monetizable than the sheer passive consumption era that we've been in. And I always like to stress in this show, it might sound like we're in the echo chamber of discussing music and a lot of our audience are from the world of finance waiting for Richard to lay such beautiful advice as, you know what happens when your stock falls by 90%? It means it fell by 80% than it halved. But for that audience, music is the first to suffer. It's always the first to recover. And this level of disruption we're seeing right now that we're hearing from you in real time, Stefan, is coming to a supply chain near you. So it's... This is a bellwether, a microcosm for things to come. And I, just before we get to Smoke Signals, that beautiful, I think you've given us the title for the podcast, Content is King but Niche is Queen. I gave this expression for podcasts. I was asked to do a, an interview with The Times and I talked about why a lot of the big podcast bets have failed. I said, podcasts don't behave like any media model that we've known of for the past 70 years. We don't have the blockbuster Will Smith movie and then a long tail of movies that might make it, might not. Podcasts are, quote, a sea of niches, a sea of niches. That's what they are. That's what they're always going to be. No matter how much money you throw at them, they want to be niche. Our producer, Eric Newsom, has been doing podcasts since the iPod was a thing. He always talks about niche content. Do you think the way that we've struggled to understand how podcasts work is now going to infiltrate all the other media channels as you lower the bar of creation? that is music is going to become a sea of niches as well. Yeah, I mean, I think music has is the last medium to be entering the UGC era. The last. Text, video, so deep. everything so deep. is the last. And it might not be the, and it's also not the first to enter the AI era. Images already entered the AI era, right? But it's ahead of video. It's the first time in a long time where music is ahead of video now. But there's an opportunity if you get it right. And if lots of people don't want the new era of music and the new, the new league of creators on Spotify and Apple Music, then let's not make that happen. The industry, I think, can decide and the stream platforms can decide to not host the next era of music. That's totally, I think that's going to be fine because there will be a place and time where if that music will be if it's consumable, if people want to listen to that kind of music, there will be a place where it doesn't have to be the places where we consume the last 10 years. I don't know whether it's a soft, subtle tone of your voice, but you really are making me think, and it's giving me the squeaky bum experience of something, there's an expression called staring into darkness. It really feels we're at that stage now where we're staring into darkness. Who knows where this next chapter is going to take us? Richard, I know where you need to take us, which is smoke signals. Yeah, we, Stefan, we like to ask our guests for a couple of things, two things that come to mind that when you hear people make a comment, you go, uh-uh, no, this smells trouble. That's sort of smoke on the horizon and it's a sensitive subject for California, but wildfires are coming in. <laughs> yeah. So, so what are the couple things you've heard people say about the creative or music industry that you've been a part of and you had a great one about marketing, which is the, what do you as a marketing director know about what 14-year-old girls in Atlanta yeah, or a 68-year-old guy in Bogota really wants to listen to. Right. But what are the couple things that 
that really in the current discussion around AI and music, since it's your current startup, are really just making you go crazy? I think in general, I'm a chill person. I don't know if anything like drives me crazy, but <laughs> well, yeah, that's lovely. And I can tell you're very relaxed in the morning in Santa Monica. I'm sure you've had your air one smoothie and you've, you've seen the sun come up over the Pacific, but there must be a couple of things that you feel are fundamental misconceptions about how the discourse, the discussion, especially since AI blew into our consciousness as of January with ChatGPT, have been misconstrued or misrepresented? 100%. On, in that question, in that regard, I think it's a lot about the misunderstanding that AI is replacing creativity, which I strongly don't believe that's going to be the case. And that I don't see that happening already now. Especially, I think, yeah, when you listen, you can, everyone can just listen to what is being generated with AI and they have to decide if they like it or not like it. I think it's already now enhancing productivity. I think the number one misconception is that AI is actually enhancing productivity in the creative workflow. And for people who are creative and call themselves creatives, hence artists, can benefit from that productivity enhancement because you will be able to make more good things and release more and see which of the songs or the versions actually gonna rise on the platforms that have lots of eyeballs mm. and ears. And on the other side, it, I think it also, it's not, I don't think it is scary if more people in the world will be able to create a song. I think, that, and but I think that's always like, right? Like if you create, like if you have a certain profession and that is kind of guarded, and like the, there's lots of entry barriers because it's hard to learn. And then it becomes less hard to learn. That in general is always scary in any field. Mm. But I think we've seen over and over again, even if like, and more people can like get to do something now, that they still have to get good at it. Or like they still have to be creative. Right? Like if you have nothing to yeah. say that is relatable to someone else, it's not going to work. Like either you have like something meaningful to contribute, no matter what technology you're using. I really believe that's going to rise. And I think that's what the algorithms are actually good for. That you can actually make, that's, I think the biggest, I think, misconception of algorithms. Like I think before people in a room decided what we're all supposed to listen and watch. And now it's up to the people in general to decide what they want to watch and listen. And I think there's, there's two separate things I'm hearing. Two separate things I'm hearing there. One is clearly about the studio heads or the A&R executives who would make those decisions. But also one thing I'm picking up is that it's access to resources. It used to be if you want to be a concert pianist, you had to have enough money to get access to a Bosendorfer or a Steinway grand piano, which there are not a lot of them out there. And you had to get a practice studio for hours and hours on end that you could play to your heart's content to get that good, that you'd be able to make that music and have someone listen to you. And now the tools have been democratized to the extent where everybody can get access to some form of instrumentation. Maybe not that Steinway grand piano, because there still aren't that many of them, but lots of other tools for making music. Yeah. I think the last, I think the biggest tip, I think for anyone who wants to be successful at music is like, how can they 
be good storytellers and think about what other people want to hear, right? One thing is like expressing yourself through songs and then also like hitting it on the nail and like being able to like portray it in a way that other people can relate to it. So in that regard, it's much more like marketing skills than musician skills that, that I think as I think that's like non, I mean, it's a spoken truth, right? That you need to know how to be interesting on social media days. I think that's like, that's, I would say is like the sad fact of maybe the era overall that you cannot just be, it's very hard. It's very hard these days to just, to be a good musician, but not a marketer, not a social media person at all. It's really tricky these days. I think that's just where we got to. And I wonder as we get to a new era and new platforms will arrive, can you maybe refresh yourself as a good creative artist? just with the medium of music itself and with songs that without needing to have also learned the art of like video storytelling. But maybe then the AI will take care of the social media, you know, where right now these stars all have teams of social media people. The AI will start doing that for you. Great point. Great point. So if we're in an era where you have to sell yourself as a musical artist via video in order for to like sell your songs, then the AI is great. Because the AI video will help you to make videos that are appealing to your music on a button click as well. So we were talking only about AI music, right? So far. But if you see it more from like, like musicians perspective, you will be able to use already now AI video tools to make really cool videos that are actually going to be promoting your songs on those platforms. Mm. That's another exciting Stuff point. Out. Stefan, podcast, no podcast. This has been one of the deepest conversations I've had this year. and I'm sure our audience will agree. If I can bring it to a close by just reciting that quote from Jeanette Winterson, the author, and this goes back 20 years when she defined art. Now, you could read a book with 300 pages telling you what art is. Her definition is less than 30 words. She said, art is simply when you look again. That's what art does. It makes you look again at a picture. It makes you look again at a TV commercial. It makes you listen again to a song. If it makes you do something again, it's art. Otherwise, you're just glancing. And if I think about what you said about the versioning, of all the material we've covered in this conversation, the fact that the Korean artists and the Indian artists are doing this by default, producing versions of the same content, means the emerging market has reached out to this new vinyl already. So the train's leaving the station. So I just want to literally attack the ostrich deniers out there thinking this thing is going to go away and just bring to light what you brought us in this conversation, which is it's happening, it's happening now, and it's going to be happening everywhere very soon. Stefan, one of the best podcasts we've ever done. You've converted me. I came in a skeptic. I've come out a convert. Content is king. Niche is definitely the new queen. And I want to thank you so much for making time in the crazy Los Angeles time zones to come and join us on Bubble Trouble. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you are new to Bubble Trouble, we hope you'll follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and please share it on your socials. Bubble Trouble is produced by Eric Newsom, Jesse Baker and Julia Nett at Magnificent Noise. You can learn more at bubbletroublepodcast.com. Until next time, from my co-host Richard Kramer, I'm Will Page. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.